You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello and welcome back to Fly on the Call for the second time this week. In case you missed it, the show is now following a 2-1-2 schedule where I'm alternating between weeks with a new episode on both Tuesday and Thursday, and weeks with one episode on Wednesday. Today I'm talking to Run River North, a chill indie pop band with a great story. Nearly 10 years after their inception, the band has returned to their DIY roots, self-releasing a new album last month, their first full-length as a three-piece down from six. In this episode, we're talking all about Creatures in Your Head, which is both the title of the album itself and the concept that ties it all together. We hit on inspiration, co-writing, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, and examples of music being magic. Sit back and enjoy. I guess it's been like a year or so that you've been, you know, fully independent. How has that kind of, how has that learning process been kind of getting back to those, those basics in a way? Yeah, that's, that's, I think you, you're touching on it perfectly. Like it felt very much like years one to three of the band in a, in a good way, like in a refreshing way. Like um, uh, I think the start of the band was very DIY and uh, you know, along with that, I feel like a lot of a lot more of ourselves were put into the band um, and it felt like a return to that. So it's been it's been interesting with it being, you know, 10 years that you've been a band now. Like, what were some of the kind of things that changed since the last time you're you really doing it DIY? Uh, I think there's a lot more yellow tape, yellow tape, meaning like um, there are a lot more people uh, that had input into the decision. So it felt I think the band's pure voice was like uh watered down essentially or or just there was less of us it felt like. so is it like is it freeing to be kind of back to that absolutely yeah that's that's kind of back to the refreshing thing it feels like it's more of a true true expression versus you know trying to appease uh gatekeepers i feel like there's been you know it's been a pretty long album cycle for you guys uh you know releasing six of the 10 songs so far um, before it came out. And I'm curious, kind of like, what was that kind of like process? Like, did it feel drawn out to you or was it kind of like you were doing things as they were coming and it, it kind of felt really natural? That was, uh, surprisingly, that was the plan from the beginning. It was, um, it kind of, I don't want to say worked out, but we had wanted to just uh, draw it out like this and, you know, put out enough material that people could consume, like bite size. Um, and, you know, when the pandemic hit, it, it just kind of bought us time, you know, it, it worked out quote, with air quotes in that way. Uh, not, not in that the pandemic came, but 
we were able to draw the 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 release in a positive way so it was tough though i mean yeah <laughs> this feels like this should have been out a year ago but that's why we're excited yeah and it, def- it definitely seems like people are kind of like able to be more keyed in because they have so much time on their hands they're kind of like you know they're they're more hungry for the music than maybe they would be otherwise i'm curious um how you've noticed kind of like the reception to the singles and how's it kind of grown as you continue to release them yeah i think um each song has more of a spotlight on it versus um if this was a normal album cycle there'd be the one or two singles that the label you know chooses to run with and you know 80 percent of the album gets overlooked but um doing it this way i think each song has more of a shine and you know that's always good for us because we put so much into it um into the album as a whole uh so it's more rewarding i would say doing it this way yeah definitely having um it also allowed us time to really showcase like the individual single artwork as well that we had um our friend and my cousin annie uh co do so it was yeah I, I loved how everyone like we really got to hear people's response like to each song each piece of art and just kind of like marry the two and tell us like their interpretations of it was really awesome yeah and then what, what were kind of like what was one of the songs that you kind of like especially noticed that with i think spiders um which was out first um, but it was supposed to be like a lead up song. And I think it was surprising to see that it's still going strong. You know, it's almost, what is it, like eight months since the release. Uh, it was supposed to be like a teaser song to the quote unquote single. But uh, yeah, it's 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 almost like you never know what will stick. And this was a perfect example of that. Nice. Yeah. And I, I know that was kind of like the one that was your first like, corona single in a way like you it was kind of finished up remotely can you tell me a little bit about kind of how that process went and what that learning curve was for finishing it up yeah absolutely we i think um around this time last year we realized we're a couple songs short for an album um and then you know around march the lockdown you know was uh lockdown happened and uh we're like okay so how do we do songs um and like the vocals on that track everything was tracked at home and alex's vocals actually all the vocals on that song are actually iphone vocals like iphone voice recording vocals that were you know imported into uh pro tools and you know massaged to sound good but that's like that perfectly encapsulate encapsulates it It was like not a studio deal it's pretty crazy and so even more like to see the response it's like okay you don't need multiple thousands multiple tens of thousands of dollars uh you know to make something stick the song just has to be good and i mean earlier you mentioned um the the single artwork which was something that i really found interesting as well like i really love the kind of cohesion between them and it also it's kind of like reminiscent to me of like the kind of like early 2000s like internet stuff like happy tree friends or something like that nice Um, yes Can you talk a little bit about kind of like the, the thought process behind the, the art direction? I feel like from the beginning, knowing that we wanted to highlight that, you know, I, I think especially with the pandemic and just like us being uh, confronted with a lot of like truths and things that we need to confront. It's like you're 
you're confronted with a lot of like these little monsters like in your head and these little creatures. And so I think uh, we had a demo of a song that is now going to be, or it's the title of our album, but it's also going to be the track that's, that will be highlighted on uh, February 12th as well called Creatures in Your Head. And I think we were really like dwelling on that idea of like each song becoming a creature and um, in the end, it all kind of living in this one realm of like a teacher's lounge. It was just very like, um, yeah, it's just very, it's open to interpretation, but I think, yeah, with each song, we just wanted to have uh, some sort of like embodiment of a, a creature there. And so having the six singles that we chose to be released um, in 2020, we were able to really kind of like build around like what parts of like the song or what emotions were evoked from it and kind of talk with the artist Annie to figure out like what kind of creature she could dream up of or yeah I, I really like that you know even though it was so your thought was so uh single oriented or like the release so far has been so single oriented like I'm a very album oriented person so I like how you're saying that kind of like cohesion between them um could you talk a little bit more about that kind of like the, that concept of the the creatures in your head yeah I, the it's definitely um it's just like the thoughts in your head of like I guess like insecurities or just different topics of you know, like romance, like self-consciousness, like seasonal depression, like, you know, feeling that kind of like indifference in situations where you feel stuck. It's like all these things that I think are very normal, like issues and things that people deal with on a daily basis. It's, we were able to kind of voice and create into, into a song and art work. And so each yeah each creature became a storyline to come out into the end product of the album creatures in your head yes that will be like fully like seen and released we we've just um uh, created another piece of art that's going to be really limited release um that's kind of like an extension of the album art just to show more of the world of, yeah, just a mind, a human's mind. Right. I think to add to that, like, um, there's a, like the lyrics in the song Creatures in Your Head, it's, it kind of touches on um, accepting that these are all real emotions that people feel. It's like identifying, being able to identify them. And then also, this is my personal take on it. It's like, they can be cute, you know, they, they don't all have to be scary, you know, but they all, it's okay that they all live in this, this world of a teacher's lounge called our souls <laughs> or our brains. <laughs> That's kind of my interpretation of the album. But like Sally said, it's like personifying uh, each emotion into a character and, um, and that it's okay to feel these things because we're all human. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting how like, appropriate that is for like this the pandemic and like you know everyone being so isolated and kind of like really having a chance to to deal with those creatures in their heads themselves uh and it, it seems like you know I, I know you're very active on patreon which seems like it's been a really good you know community for both you and the fans to kind of like 
have a spot where you're getting that human interaction. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, kind of how that came together and uh, how, it, how it's flourished? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, this was one of the things that we hadn't, we didn't react to the pandemic. This was all just stuff that we were kind of, um, you know, chewing on. Um, Alex had the idea of starting a Patreon to, you know, help push the album. But what, did it, what ended up happening was like, we found a community of people that, you know, during the pandemic, during like the height of the lockdown, like our fans specifically, like were able to find like-minded people, you know, like uh, they're, they're able to connect in that way. And at a certain point, we almost like we weren't as active on, you know, the Patreon or on the discord where the fans interacted and they would just carry the conversations. And it was just fascinating to see that community uh, start from nothing. And then, like you said, flourish. And, you know, now like they our fans, like hang out with each other, like have game nights with each other and and like suggest food options in different cities. It's, it's the craziest thing. And I think, um, at the end of the day, like that's such a powerful thing, uh, being able to connect with somebody, even if you're on lockdown. And so we're, we're super, super, super grateful for our fans. What are some of the, uh, the, the food recommendations that seem to be popping off the most? I'm always, always good looking for good food. <laughs> yeah, no, um, like you, unfortunately you have to be a patron to see some of the videos, but like Sally has this video series called Sally snack attack where she'll just, you know, review and eat like an entire snack on camera and talk about it. <laughs> like it's like very silly things like that but like one of the things was uh it's like a, this korean snack if you go to like an an asian market like an h mart or like a korean market you'll probably be able to find like these things called turtle chips it's, uh, it, it makes no sense but it's like the cinnamon it's like a churro in a in a bite-sized dorito form and it's it's fantastic so if if you're if you ever spot an Asian restaurant, like uh, Asian supermarket, try to find turtle chips. Okay, I'll, def- I'll definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> and I mean, this being kind of like the first album that from, you know, going from a six piece band to a three piece band, I'm curious how how did that kind of change the the relationships between you guys? And how did that kind of like change the writing process? Yeah, um, we're obviously a tight knit uh, group of, three three people you know uh me and sally are getting married in july and you know alex is <laughs> he is a groomsman uh of mine but i almost feel like collectively if if alex was not a, ma- a male like sally would include alex too in some <laughs> yeah, way you know he's be in my ladies group <laughs> right exactly so like that's how you know tight knit we are and uh, musically it was challenging at first because we lost a bassist and a drummer and um I tell the story a lot, but uh, I think like two, a year or two after the band became three, we had to go to South by Southwest. And um, if you can imagine like South by, you're just competing with noise, like everywhere around you. And like there was any, uh, there was a very real challenge of uh, translating our music to compete, be be able to compete in that kind of environment. And I don't think uh, I felt lower than one of the nights at south by because like you know all of our like the drum machines we set up and the bass tracks like like malfunctioned and i just like wanted to quit that night but like that's that's kind of paints a picture of how hard it was to just um to reproduce a full sound 
but you know the the sound changed from more of a band thing to incorporate more uh, electronic elements more uh, less bombastic elements and and i think it worked out you know for the best and what were some of the kind of like like the influences that kind of shifted that sound yeah um man i think i think the music of the 2008s from like 2008 to 2012 was probably like the peak of our music musical interests collectively uh like so like i don't know there's a lot of like uh sh- like xx there's like sally help me out here uh-huh there or i'm just thinking of for like for our first debut album we were very acoustic-y songwritery and so it was a like the peak of like Mumford and Sons, Arcade Fire, implementing a lot of like the strings. Um, yeah, Alex naturally had a very acoustic, like he loves like um, uh, the, like Jason Mraz, like John Mayer, like he really loved the songwriting. And so I think back then we were able to kind of marry a lot of our different backgrounds. But I think at this point, when we were just left with the three of us, we it was very open to like not just one kind of musical genre, but just anything that we felt like we wanted to create. It was very freeing and opening to just try to write like a rap song or try to write like a TV on the radio song or like just something very like, um, yeah, it's just very open. We were very open-minded and not, we didn't want to place any sort of like, um ceiling for like it has to be this type of an album this type of a song but we would just kind of like start with a bass line or a drum beat and then let it grow from there Hmm. and it sounds like you know from what i've read that you do the band does a lot of um co-writing sessions with other other musicians which you know isn't necessarily something that a lot of the musicians that i talk to do i'm curious kind of what's like the general vibe for those and can you talk a little bit about that that role of that collaboration plays yeah i think um when we were a six piece we were very protective of our writing and you know trying to write within the group as much as we could but you know, I think after we became a three-piece, like Sally said, there was, we had nothing to lose. You know, we, we, there was a freedom, there was a sense of freedom of we could write whatever we want. And so we would just go into these sessions, like not trying to come out with a song for ourselves, but like a song that we liked, you know, and whether that included some trap rapping from Sally on Pretty Lies in the second verse or uh a 808s and heartbreak inspired song like hummingbird um we're all for it like we had nothing to lose and i think that's what makes this uh project more exciting and we had to that we all had, we, there there was a moment where we had to show these songs um to our hardcore fans like fans that probably embrace the acoustic stuff or the rock stuff and uh, I remember feeling very scared. We were all very scared, like showing them Hummingbird. But their response to that song was like so surprising because they they embraced and they loved it so much. And and I think, um, yeah, that, that really surprised us. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting. Uh, one of the interviews that I was listening to earlier today, Alex was talking about how early on there was kind of like 
friction between uh, you, Daniel, and him. And he kind of said, like, you know, it's kind of ironic that he's one of the ones that's still in the band. Uh, I'm curious if you could talk, you know, just talk a little bit about kind of how how that affected the band and how that kind of the relationship, um, you know, improved moving forward. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is just like a microcosm of any relationship uh, in the world. Like, I think, um, you know, conflicts can even either drive you apart or make you stronger. And if you're committed to the other party, whether it's because of a band or, you know, a marriage or, or whatever the context is, I think, that's a very real uh, truth. And, and in our case, I think we both wanted the band uh, to succeed. Uh, and at first, uh, our insecurities kind of, uh, you know, overshadowed the other and, and we wanted to do it our, our way. But I think um, over time, you know, we were committed to each other and to making it work. And, you know, like I mentioned before, I don't think we've been closer as a unit, uh, the three of us. Uh, because of it and and there are stories like that for sally as well you know alex uh, at certain points didn't want to you know sing songs with sally have her in the band but you know we all stuck it out and in the end you know we're the last ones standing <laughs> 10 years later i don't know it kind of seems to me like you know now that you're kind of back on the the indie circuit um that you've kind of found a sweet spot between you know, kind of like big ambitions and a, a, a more populating sound and stuff and kind of staying true yourself and the, the DIY aspect. Can you talk about kind of like that, you know, finding that happy balance between the two? Sure. I think we're, we all got better as songwriters. We all got more comfortable in our own skin and we all got, uh, we all became more accepting of how others might view us. And so I think, you know, we started the band for Sally in her teens, uh, you know, for me in my early twenties, now I'm in, you know, I'm 32, you know, and like Sally's nearly 30. So like that, there, there definitely was, uh, I mean, ask anybody, like, I feel like people grow or change the most, not, not necessarily grow, but they, people probably change the most in, in, in this window of time. And uh, yeah, we just got to do it in front of <laughs> other people's eyes. But for us, I think for for us sonically, you know, us being comfortable with our voice, with our with what we like and what we want out of the band. Yeah, you see, I think you hit it perfectly. We 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 love poppy music, but uh, we are aware of what we're good at and what we're not. And so there is kind of a sweet spot right now. You, you mentioned earlier how uh, Sally has like a rap verse on Pretty Lies. And I know that um, Alex, when he originally asked you to sing Sally, it was kind of like, kind of off the cuff, like, and he, not necessarily, he didn't even know that singing was something that, whether or not that was something that you could do. I'm curious if you could talk about kind of like embracing those things that life kind of throws at you and, uh, you know, kind of adapting to the situation. Yeah, I think definitely this whole journey, journey of being in Run River North has been a like has been a <laughs> like I had to learn to adapt like you said it's but it was something it was like a challenge that I very much embraced and I think you know coming out of it at this point being you know 29 on my way to 30 and us approaching our 10 years together I I'm very like 
I don't think I would have grown to know myself as a person just outside of the band, outside of doing music. I don't think I would have grown to, you know, like Daniel was explaining his situation with Alex. It's like, you just learn through conflict. You learn through hard times and like not giving up. It's, you just, you just try. And I think there's nothing wrong with trying to learn like X, Y, and Z. So for me, that was learning how to sing in front of like in a studio setting. It's like I had to uh, figure things out and do things on the side to help myself get more confident. And then on top of that, it was like playing keys to a in a place where it made sense in a band setting, making like, you know, it's like making melodies in my head, translating that into synth parts or even at this point, it's like we're kind of open to just playing whatever we can, like whether it's like I'm trying to learn bass for a song or Daniel's Daniel's like the one who's like playing the keys and like heading uh, like a song in one way. It's all very I, I love that at this point it is like there are no. Um, yeah, we're not boxed into any like one role as a band, but yeah, I think for me, I. I've been able to look back at my uh, like journey of being a just a singer in a karaoke room with friends um, to really enjoying like playing with different vocal like you know just like parts and uh, textures and just thinking of ways to really elevate a song in ways that I would have never been able to learn like if I had never tried. I think it's really cool how, you know, how you are all embracing that and how it's kind of like, it's almost sounds like it's more of a, like a collective than a band. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think being in a band, being in the, being in Run River North has uh, taught me so much about myself that I don't think I would have learned in another uh, setting or another situation. I'm sure there would be different parts of myself. I would, no, like you know having working in uh, a job for 10 years or like you know working in some other career but um, I think the nature of being a creative and, and uh, the nature of music and, and looking inward constantly and to, to <laughs> and looking uh, for approval outwardly it's like it's this it's the most like insane like boot camp of a situation where you have to uh, where you just put out you know, in front of others to see in your rawest form. And uh, I, I couldn't be more grateful for that. Awesome. Yeah. And I think like two of my favorite songs on the album that I feel like go together well as a pair, Goodnight Moon and Wait, kind of like Goodnight Moon being the, the very stripped down version and then Wait being kind of like the ending that kind of builds on that and builds towards the end and, you know, add, adds these little flourishes that really kind of add a lot to the song. Could you tell me a little bit about how, how those two came together? Yeah. Um, originally um, we thought it'd be uh, perfect that Goodnight Moon, you know, ends the album uh, because uh, this is a song Alex wrote in 2007. I think he wrote, right, Sally? Yeah. Um, he wrote it like even before the band started and um, it was around and we tried to record it as a six piece a couple of times, but it just never felt right. And uh, funny story, not funny, but like that was, this is an intense story. When we were recording that song for this album, 
it was what like four like 12 years 13 years removed from when it was written um we all knew a version alex's version of the song but recording it this time around just felt like you could feel the uh the nostalgia like you could feel the journey in the room real time like like all of the experiences we had on tour with each other you know playing different types of rooms stages um all the fights you know all the celebrations like it was like perfectly condensed into this like two-hour window of recording this song and i remember <laughs> i was crying tracking guitars and then i walk out and then alex is in tears <laughs> it was the craziest thing but uh to answer your question like to juxtapose that with weight weight felt like the perfect ending it's kind of a, a weird thing because like it, it winds down, you know, track nine, you would think track 10 would wind down. Um, but I think like there is this like, uh, you know, li literally speaking, the weight feels, you feel lighter, the weight is gone, you know, having gone through the album, having come to the realization that, uh, you know, acceptance of your internal battles is okay, like uh, acceptance of um, other people's expectations is okay. Like there's this like jubilant feeling at the end that we, we thought it had to be that song. And, and what was it that kind of like made this the right time to have Goodnight Moon finally, you know, be put to tape? I, I think when we tried it as a piece, we try to make it interesting musically, but you know, um, it's almost like the song returned to its roots, but this time with more like life experience. So it was just like, there's more meaning packed into the words and um, the words are still even true, you know, many years later. And I think that's what was one of those out of body things that we were just like, man, this is, this is crazy. Music's crazy. <laughs> and one of my like favorite sayings recently that I, I think I just started saying it probably after I started this podcast for sure. But um, I just, I love saying like music is magic. Cause I just, I feel like that just absolutely. like nails everything. It's like, absolutely. it's all encompassing. <laughs> I think like um, for me personally, um, like the act of creating something and then walking out of a room and then for it to just exist in eternity for other people to listen to, like that's magical. Like that is literally the perfect like word to describe what we do. Yeah. And uh, kind of, Going off of that, I feel like the the story of how you got um, how you played on Jimmy Kimmel is kind of like an example of music being magical, and I would I would just love to hear you like tell that so other people can hear it as well. Um, yeah, that was um, I think year one into us becoming. Oh, back then we were called Monsters Calling Home, and us being not even I I'm not sure if we were the full six piece when we first wrote or we recorded um the song fight to keep which is what um the music video that got to that got the attention of the honda people but uh backtracking we yeah we were just very like young had a lot of time just wanted to make videos and had a plan to do like a a single a month kind of a release just on like soundcloud or Bandcamp, and then after we, we all realized that the majority of our group had Hondas, we were like, it would be so amazing to record uh, the song Fight to Keep in all each of our Hondas. And so we had a couple friends help us out with video. And after we had recorded that video, we jokingly put in the YouTube description, like sponsored by Honda. 
And then someone from the Honda ad agency team saw that music video and it just got sent up to up the ranks and they just liked the idea of basically punking this Asian American, a <laughs> uh, very baby band. Um, and so they would kind of like, they reached out to us just saying like, we're huge fans and we'd love to just do like a photo shoot with you guys to promote you. And so we would keep meeting them at these random like events and they would come to our shows that we would do in LA like really late at night. And it was just all building up like uh, footage for them to record to later feature in this Jimmy Kimmel punking uh, scenario. So yeah, they basically just told us that they wanted to have us play for a room of Honda executives in Hollywood, which we were very down for. So we got trucked along in, in uh, Honda vans, got to ho this Hollywood hotel ballroom, and we were shuttled back and forth from the ballroom to the side room, back and forth like five times, just saying like, oh, something's wrong with the sound. Can you guys wait? Oh, the sound's ready. Can you guys come back? And we we're all just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and then finally getting up to the point of doing this really horrible sound check. And these two people who were actors that for us, we just thought they were the Honda executive people saying that no one was able to make it, but that we were going to play at Jimmy Kimmel across the street. And we all were so shocked. And yeah, definitely lots of tears. I know the drummer at the time, John, was very wary of the whole situation and just kept saying like, something's going wrong, something's happening, like there's a deeper meaning behind all of this. And um, yeah, and then we just were able to call like one or two family members, whoever was available to come like that day. And we just got driven across the street and got into the dressing room, got set up with this huge, like our stage setup was a cutout of like this monster artwork that Alex had drawn from his notebook like years ago. And yeah, it was, it was just like a very surreal experience like immediately go from like thinking we're just going to play for Honda executives to play on TV. <laughs> and so, yeah, that experience is, it's always so funny and like it brings back so many good memories and yeah, it just, it's one of those things you'll never forget. Yeah. I, I, and I feel like that, that experience minus the Jimmy Kimmel part, I feel like from what I know of corporate gigs, that doesn't sound like it would be too far off the mark, even if it was that, that horrible experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, I always like to wrap up the episodes by in the same way by asking, you know, just for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's, you know, about music or life in general, just something that you'd like to share with the audience. Sure. Um, I guess I'll go first. I think it's okay to rest. I think it's okay to uh, say, be comfortable with um, taking a breath and not doing anything. Uh, not, not, I'm not, I'm not promoting laziness <laughs> because I think naturally I'm a very ambitious and uh, active person. Uh, I, I really work hard to, you know, try to accomplish my dreams, but. I think these days I'm, I'm, I think I'm learning that it's okay to stop and appreciate the person in front of you. You know, I uh, appreciate your family uh, and your friends and, and that's it. 
yeah, that, that, that would be my piece of advice right now. Um, I think for me, what I've been really thinking a lot about is, is I think just being very, I think, reflective in my 20s as I feel like I am <laughs> ending my uh, last year in my 20s. Um, I've just been very, and this is something I tell a lot of my friends too, is that, you know, it's okay to, tr- it's okay to try, it's okay to fail, it's okay to, you know, approach something and not be the best at it immediately. But if it's something that you really want, you know, it's, it's obviously like going to require hard work and studying and all that. But I just think in the end, the, the kind of mentality you carry and the heart you carry into it, as long as that's, you know, pure and you're growing as a person, you're appreciating the people around you, you're appreciating the work, you know, just striving to do your best. Like, I think that's just like that, that's enough. I can't, yeah, stress that enough in in this. I feel like in this time of like, you know, a lot of people just striving to get a quick, quick buck, like quick money here and there. It's, it's okay to, yeah, it's okay to keep trying new things and not to be afraid of it. We did it. Another episode of Fly on the Call in the Books. Be sure to check out Run River North's latest with creatures in your head. And maybe consider supporting them on Patreon if you dig it and are looking for a like-minded community. I'll catch you right back here next Wednesday, same place, with another awesome episode for you to check out. Fly on the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyinthecallpod at gmail.com. So glad to have you along for this ride. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.